After a two-year disruption due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the United Nations General Assembly has returned to normal, almost. While the UN has implemented a number of COVID restrictions, including limiting the size of the delegations attending, enforcing a mask mandate inside the building, and requiring proof of vaccination, world leaders are back in New York, shaking hands, holding high-stakes bilateral negotiations, and bringing the city to a grinding halt. The meeting has come at a crucial time. The war in Ukraine, rising energy prices, spiraling inflation, increasing food prices, climate change, and global health are all high on the agenda. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Willie Lowry, reporting from the United Nations in New York. Before we start, if you like Beyond the Headlines and want to get all the latest episodes as soon as they're released, just hit subscribe in your podcast app. The familiar sound of protests filled the streets outside the United Nations building in New York City. A sure sign the General Assembly is back. The annual gathering of world leaders in New York for a week of high-level speeches and bilateral meetings was reduced to a shell of itself during the pandemic. In 2020, the Grand Hall was almost empty as speakers addressed the world via video feed. Last year, it was in a hybrid form, but still felt a far cry from the usual fanfare. That may have been bad for diplomacy, but New Yorkers didn't mind. This year, the police barricades are back, and the seemingly endless procession of black SUVs chauffeuring world leaders around town have returned. We expect to see something in the neighborhood of 130 heads of state or heads of government at this uh, current session of the General Assembly. So that is a level comparable uh, to the sort of uh, uh, level of speakers, high-level speakers that we used to have prior to the pandemic. That was Farhan Haq, deputy spokesperson for the Secretary General, speaking to the National on the UN's sprawling compound overlooking New York's East River. While the city feels very much alive and bustling, and the General Assembly has returned to a semblance of normality, the complexity and totality of issues facing the world right now makes for a somber and challenging General Assembly. Secretary General Antonio Guterres was pulling no punches as he laid out the challenges that the world faces at the opening of the event. Ladies and gentlemen, our world is in big trouble. Divides are growing deeper, inequalities are growing wider, and challenges are spreading farther. A cost-of-living crisis is raging, trust is crumbling, inequalities are exploding, and our planet is burning. People are hurting, with the most vulnerable suffering the most. The United Nations Charter and the ideals it represents are in jeopardy. We have a duty to act, and yet we are gridlocked in colossal global dysfunction. Geopolitical divides are undermining the work of the Security Council, undermining international law, undermining trust and people's faith in democratic institutions, undermining all forms of international cooperation. We cannot go on like this. Unsurprisingly, the war in Ukraine has been in sharp focus during the opening days. 
Russian President Vladimir Putin stayed away from New York, but in a televised address from Moscow on the second day of the high-level debates, he announced a general mobilization in Russia to call up as many as 300,000 men to the military. While speaking in French, Mr. Guterres warned of the profoundly destabilizing effect the war is having around the world. Much of the world's attention remains focused on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The war has unleashed widespread destruction with massive violations of human rights and international humanitarian law. The latest reports on burial sites in Izium are extremely disturbing. The fighting has claimed thousands of lives, millions have been displaced, billions across the world are affected. We are seeing the threat of dangerous divisions between West and South. The risks to global peace and security are immense. We must keep working for peace in line with the United Nations Charter and international law. U.S. President Joe Biden used his address just hours after Mr. Putin announced the mobilization to strongly condemn Russia. Putin claims he had to act because Russia was threatened. But no one threatened Russia. And no one other than Russia sought conflict. In fact, we warned it was coming. And with many of you, we worked to try to avert it. Putin's own words make his true purpose unmistakable. Just before he invaded, Putin asserted, and I quote, Ukraine was created by Russia and never had, quote, real statehood. And now we see attacks on schools, railway stations, hospitals, one on centers of Ukrainian history and culture. In the past, even more horrifying evidence of Russia's atrocity and war crimes. Mass graves uncovered in Izium. Bodies, according to those who um, excavated those bodies, showing signs of torture. This war is about extinguishing Ukraine's right to exist as a state, plain and simple, and Ukraine's right to exist as a people. Whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever you believe, that should make your blood run cold. The U.S. president used the bulk of his speech to rally support for Ukraine and pile sustained pressure on Russia. Shortly after he spoke, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the world by video feed, the only world leader to be allowed to speak remotely after an exception was made with a vote of the General Assembly last week. He called for peace, but also for Russia to bear responsibility for the war. Russia should pay for this war with its assets. Ukraine wants peace. Europe wants peace. The world one peace. And we have seen who is the only one who wants war. There is only one entity among all UN member states who would say now, if he could interrupt my speech, that he's happy with this war, with his war. A crime has been committed against Ukraine, and we demand just punishment. 
The crime was committed against our state borders. The crime was committed against the lives of our people. He called for more financial aid, more weapons, and more humanitarian assistance. But even as the war in Ukraine rages on, it's far from the only long-simmering conflict affecting the world. In the Middle East, the Syrian war, which has displaced more than 13 million people over the course of 11 bloody years, grinds on. The Nationals sat down with Filippo Grandi, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, to discuss the desperate need for funding that his agency requires to adequately care for those in need. I'm just back from a visit to Syria and Jordan, and uh, one should not forget that between refugees and displaced, uh, the Syrian humanitarian crisis remains one of the largest in the world, comparable to the Ukrainian displacement crisis in numbers. Ukraine, displaced Ukrainians are 13, 14 million, the Syrians just a little less. So it's still quite huge. But um, what struck me is that uh, interest is waning, including interest in the victims of this unresolved situation, primarily the refugees and the internally displaced. And uh, it worries me. And part of this uh, shift in attention or decline, I should say, in attention is that, of course, Ukraine has absorbed, also in terms of political investment, a huge, huge energy around the world, not to mention the resources. And as a result, humanitarian operations around the Syria crisis, just like is the case in the Horn of Africa, the Sahel, and many other places, uh, humanitarian operations are suffering from underfunding. Mr. Grandi estimated that UNHCR had only met 28% of its Syria funding, a concerning figure with winter looming. He also touched on the impact that climate change is having on refugees. The other thing that is very obvious is that climate change impacts dramatically countries that are already fragile for other reasons, like Afghanistan, for example. And it, it's a complicating factor that certainly can also get, even in the absence of conflict, more displacement. So it's, a, it's an interdependence of causes, and this is what we also um, see everywhere. Displacement has become a phenomenally complicated uh, situation, right? It's not anymore just refugees fleeing war or persecution. This still happens. But mixed more and more with other causes. And this is why it's so difficult to deal with what we call in our jargon mixed flows in Central America, for example, coming to the US, or across Northern Africa, across the Mediterranean, into Spain or Italy or Malta or Greece and Cyprus and other countries. Climate change, like in years past, has been a major talking point, but it has been overshadowed by the conflict in Ukraine which has sucked up much of the oxygen at the global meeting. Mr. Guterres and Egypt's Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, who is hosting COP27, the next global meeting on climate change in November, held an informal roundtable for leaders to discuss climate change action. While Mr. Biden briefly touched on the issue in his address, he didn't attend the discussion. His French counterpart, Emmanuel Macron, also missed the meeting. Emerging from the meeting, Mr. Guterres gave a brief statement and put it simply, the globally agreed to goal of holding rising temperatures to no more than 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels 
was, he said, failing fast. He accused world leaders of being out of step with the public on the issue and said the world was fast heading towards a three-degree rise. And I'm extremely worried because uh, uh, with the war in Ukraine and with several other events, climate change seems to have moved out of the priorities for many decision makers around the world. And this is a suicide. We see emissions growing and we see uh, fossil fuels become fashionable again. When we know that uh, fossil fuels are the main responsible for the progressive war against nature that uh, uh, we have been waging uh, uh, in, in our history. Uh, it is absolutely essential to reduce emissions from now on. And unfortunately, when we should be able to reduce 45% of the emissions uh, up to 2030, we are with the perspective of increased emissions of 14% in 2030. So we absolutely need to reverse this trend. We are moving into a catastrophic situation and we have not much time to turn things around. The hope is that when world leaders meet again for the COP27 summit in Egypt's Sharm el-Sheikh in November 2022, they can make a breakthrough and take serious steps towards meeting the stated aims of reducing carbon emissions. This was Beyond the Headlines. I'm Willie Lowry, and this week we were produced by James Haynes Young, Arthur Edison, and Thomas Smith. If you want to get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they're released, just subscribe to the show in your favorite podcasting app.